Welcome to CEO On The Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm your host, Gail Lance, and together we'll be exploring the people side of leadership. You'll learn how to better engage and inspire those around you and yourself. So let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to this special episode on the topic of figuring out what's next for you with emphasis on the word you, because I know I've been doing a lot of episodes on how to get your business or your teams through tough times. And each episode is designed to help you be most successful as a top leader in your organization. Uh, And this time of year, especially in fourth quarter, many executives are naturally thinking about what's next for their business in the new year. And it's really hard to figure that part out. So um, I wanted to spend some time helping you think through what could be next for you in your own career or even your personal life. Many executives I work with say they barely have enough time to focus on themselves. And even if they did, they really didn't know how to think about what's next or what the process or the approach should be. So I thought this topic was important enough to devote a little more time to it with my guest expert today, who I'm really excited to introduce in a moment. But first, a little backstory that many people may not know about me or my work. When I first graduated from college, I really struggled to find a job. I took a job right out of college with a small law firm in Atlanta, Georgia, and quit after three days. And that's probably a story for another time. Um, But I couldn't find work for months. And I read a book called What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Bowles, which is a classic book for people who are considering what they want to do with their life and their work, uh, what's next in their career, finding jobs. So I eventually got into the corporate world and worked for a couple of really large companies until I knew that I wanted to leave the corporate world. And all I knew at the time was that I wanted to help people work through difficult transitions. And so I, I returned to What Color Is Your Parachute and the author of that book and attended a two-week workshop uh, out in Bend, Oregon. This was about 20 years ago where there were about 40 to 50 people from all over the world who were trying to figure out what's next and what they really wanted to do in their life and their work. And as I mentioned, I knew that I wanted to help people navigate that process. I wanted to help people like me who were having trouble. And there were a few others out there too with the same interest and passion. And that's where I met my friend and colleague, John Lees. John Lees is one of the UK's best-known career strategists, and I was so excited to reach out to him after many years, knowing he would be just the right person to share ideas and insights on this topic. John has written many, many books on work and career management. As a career coach, John specializes in helping people make difficult career decisions, and they're difficult either because they don't know what to do next or because there are barriers in the way of success. He's presented at the world's largest international career conferences and delivered workshops in the U.S., South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and Germany, to name a few. Clearly, I thought it would be a brilliant idea to speak with John. Did you notice I used the word brilliant so I could try to sound more British? 
I know it's not working. (laughs) Anyway, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with him. And you can learn more about John and his work at johnleescareers.com. That's johnleescareers.com. Now, my work has evolved over the years, and I don't do as much one-on-one work of that kind anymore, except on uh, an exceptional uh, basis. But I still think that doing the deliberate work to plan what's next or to think about what some new possibilities would be is some of the most important work that you can do, whether you're thinking about moving up or moving out um, or launching another business or nonprofit or perhaps even some kind of movement. There's so many possibilities to explore and explore is one key word that John emphasizes so well. In part one, John and I discuss some of the barriers that keep you from moving forward and some different reasons that may uh, make you feel stuck or unclear. And then in part two, in a separate episode, we address some of the practical things that you can do to move yourself forward to achieve what you want and make the impact that you really want to make. And by the way, this episode and the next one would be great to share with anyone else who you know who might be thinking about what's next. For now, let's listen in on my conversation with John. John, I'm so glad that we could have this conversation today. I know that we've been talking about it for a little while because uh, the timing, I think, is so critical With the end of the year, we're in fourth quarter now. Um, This episode will probably air in late October or early November. And I know that in my market, a lot of senior executives and CEOs are giving more thought to what's what's next for me, and maybe not so much even on a business level, but on a personal level. You know, what is it that um, that I should be thinking about because they've been so so rocked by a lot of events from this year. It's really forcing them to think differently. So. What are you seeing out there, and what are some of the thoughts that are coming to mind? Well, for me, this this year has been an acceleration of, of lots of trends that were going on in the workplace anyway. Uh, and that might seem like a strange thing to say, because clearly this is an unprecedented year. But if I think about speed of change, uncertainty, um, organizations reinventing themselves, um, reversals of trends and, and um, movement of people from one sector to another. It, I think it's it's actually, there's a 20-year trend going on here at least. Interesting. Uh, which is to do with levels of uncertainty. And I think that's what we're talking about in many ways, isn't it? Uncertainty. Yeah. So anybody says this you know, this began with COVID-19, it, it's got to be wrong because, you know, even before that, I was saying to people who were t- trying to navigate their career, um, well, the, one of the issues here is that organizations don't know what kind of entity they're going to be in 12 months' time. Exactly. Uh, and it certainly is 12 months now. I might have been slightly exaggerating then, but it certainly is now, isn't it? Any organization that says, you know, exactly where we're going to be in terms of as a business in 12 months' time, they are kidding themselves. So, that, so it's an acceleration of something that's been going on for a little while. Yes, absolutely. That's what I'm seeing too. Um, it's all, uh, I guess, at during this year has come to a head or has, has helped uh, executives become more serious about how they're really thinking about these issues. So I know that you and I at one point had talked about some of the different uh, thoughts kind of going on and people's minds right now. So 
Why don't we touch on some of those? Because I know that d- different executives that I'm working with are a bit in different phases and thinking through different scenarios. Some feel like, um, you know, what is it that, that I should be thinking about, but I can't because I'm in a very visible position. So if people know that I'm even thinking about something different, you know, how, how do I handle that? Some are, are, are possibly even considering leaving their organizations. You know, the stress is just too much or the pressure. Uh, I, as you know, I often, and you do too, work behind the scenes with people. So you get to hear the real story. <laughs> so hard, hard to admit, but some may be even thinking about those issues. Yeah, I, I'm hearing the same things as you, Gala, and it's something that I've written about, and I called it job fragility, really, that, that sense that even if you have a job, it's fragile. And certainly uh, here in the UK, as I'm sure you know, we're, we're going through a, a phase where people know that redundancy is coming, even if, even if they haven't had an official notification yet. It, they don't have to be terribly smart to look at what's happening to their organization. Uh, and others are probably looking at the, the graph in terms of um, turnover and, and you know, just levels of business activity and saying this organization is, is just not going to exist in the first quarter of 2021. So what do I do about it? And what do I do about it is, is a very interesting thing at a time when people are working flat out. And as you say, they're stressed. Um, they um, don't know whether it's the right time to um, visibly be seen looking at an external marketplace and, and levels of visibility and confidentiality are really important issues. I think the other thing we haven't talked about yet is is actually really harder, much, much harder to network your way into a new position Yes, in, in a society where we're not allowed to meet each other. Mm, yes, <laughs> not, that just... <laughs> not easily anyway. <laughs> yes, it does make that challenge even more difficult when you can't meet in person. Although I've been finding some creative ways to network online. So yeah, um, yeah it takes a creative approach, I think. Yeah, exactly. And some people are not good at that. And some people find that just a psychological barrier too far. So the old advice about go and take people out for coffee suddenly doesn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> partly because it's difficult. You can, yes, you can have coffee with people, but it's just other barriers in the way. And it, for some people, that becomes a, a significant enough a barrier to stop doing it. So it's not as if they do it less, they just stop doing it at all. Um, and I find that quite interesting. It's, it forces certain kinds of very closed down behaviors and attitudes to people that say, I can't go to conferences anymore. I can't network with people um, in the same way. Therefore, I'm stuck. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's easy to come up with those reasons or excuses. Uh, I'm always the optimist. I always think there's there's a way. Uh, to navigate through this. So, um, yeah. So I I also think it's a time and we'll be talking about some of these things, by the way, I know in more detail, I'm just trying to share the scope of different scenarios that I'm seeing and that I know you are too. There's some people who are looking at at total reinvention where they they may not even want to be in the same kind of role or even in the same kind of business. And that's, that's a little different, isn't it? It's very different. That's right. It's interesting. I'm doing quite a lot of webinars at the moment for that really focus on two issues simultaneously. One is how do you get a new job? How do you just kind of uh, keep your career on track? But at the same time, taking very seriously that question about, well, what if that involves a career change? And that could be a forced one because your industry is is um, 
in trouble, or it could be a self-prompted one. And I always find it very interesting that people hit a redundancy situation. It often provokes that question, what should I be doing really? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pause moment, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a self-directed pause moment too, because suddenly no one else is in charge of your career. You've got no HR director to tap you on the shoulder and say, go here next. Yes. You've got to decide for yourself. So it does often prompt ideas about career change. And sometimes that people play with that idea for a little while and then go back into a conventional job. And others do change career. And sometimes they have to. So there's a whole spectrum of, of outcomes here. Yeah, I think it's interesting you use the phrase, oh, what should I be doing? Because I do hear that that's a question that people are asking themselves. And I always think, start with what could I do? Not feel like there's a should or uh, a one way, uh, or this is the door that you have to walk through um, to follow a specific path, but to really allow yourself to think more more broadly about mm. what some new possibilities would be. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a wonderful kind of scandal in in the British news right now because what we, we've got an awful lot of people are being laid off in lots of different sectors and our government has put out a careers test which says you know you do this test and you'll magically discover what you're going to be <laughs> and of course it's one of those old-fashioned uh, fairly inept career tests yes, that you I and know. I have known about for a long time and yes. and you know, so people who who are out of work, musicians and actors, the test tells them they should be, guess what, a musician or an actor, yeah. and, <laughs> and and it's just driving people mad. And it's so I know it's slightly tangential, but you're, it goes back to your point about what should I be doing and this and this passivity of saying, I'll take a test, that'll be the obvious answer. And you're absolutely right. The the answer is often what can you do and have a range of possibilities that you explore. Yes, yes. Well, since you mentioned assessments, because I know I do offer some um, for different purposes, but I do think it's uh, a human nature sometimes to want to turn to something outside of yourself to tell you what to do. And assessments can be a useful tool depending on how they're used. But I, w- I was just curious to get more of your thoughts on that and the role that um, those kinds of tools can play. How, how are you seeing people benefit or uh, perhaps being misled by, by those <laughs> well, things. <laughs> well, at the moment, there's an awful lot of, not just mis- people, people being misled, but by given such a poor quality instrument, and then they lose faith in, uh, that they're, even they lose faith in their own ability to change. Because if, if you take a test and it says, go and be an airline pilot, that was the classic one in today's newspapers, oh, be an yes. airline pilot. <laughs> Guess what's happened to the airline industry? You know, yes. Not smart advice. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a fully qualified test user, and I hardly ever use tests because they're great for working with teams and working out why people aren't getting on with colleagues or, or about chemistry at work and um, cultural fit. But they're not that good, uh, in my humble opinion, for people that say, I want to do something completely different and I can't identify it. That's a different process. Yes, interesting. Um, I know that, as I've mentioned in the introduction, you and I had met through a wonderful workshop called What Color Is Your Parachute? And there was a, a tool that we used over and over and over called the prioritizing grid. <laughs> it was a thinking tool uh, that I've actually used in a lot of different contexts with different clients. So it does seem like it's harder for people to prioritize 
what is it that really matters to them now? And, and um, so what, what are some of the That's interesting, what are you seeing with with some of your clients and people out there as they're trying to think about well, what really is most important? Well, that's good. That's a good question to start with. What's most important, um, and what what f- work feels worth doing? I think it is a sort of triangulation, in my experience. Um, in the work I do, I tend to triangulate what people like doing in terms of the, the skills they look forward to exercising, their motivated skills, what they love to know about. And you and I did some of that stuff in the parachute program, the kind of things that people love to think about and talk about. And the third area is about personality. So it's about their values and and who they are as people. So it's, it's doing and knowing and being. That's the sort of model I use. And if you try and get out those three areas, that's a great starting point for saying to somebody, okay, well, what what would be the ingredients for you of a job that would be a good deal? And it's not the, not the single magic job or the single magic job title. It's, it's often a, an area of things. So that the next stage is the really important one because we're really good. Career coaches are really good at getting people to look at themselves and people stay stuck in that mode. They, they're fascinated with their own kind of makeup and they want to do more tests and exercises. And the really important thing is the flip that says, stop looking at yourself now, turn your attention outwards and go and talk to people who are doing interesting jobs, go and research ideas, have conversations. Even today, when we're hidebound in terms of uh, meetings, it's, there's still lots of ways of doing it. Um, and that's such an important thing. So it's it's break. And this is, I think, important advice for somebody that is facing redundancy. Don't think there is one single perfect outcome. Don't wait for it to come along. Don't hold that up as the kind of the gold standard, because it will be a gold standard that you will abandon the first time you fail to get shortlisted for something. People go from this this 100% gold standard to something much more uh, compromised. It's better to say, look at, have half a dozen good ideas for a career that would be a healthy match for you and explore those actively. Just explore. You don't have to apply. You don't have to present yourself as a candidate. You don't have to sell yourself into them. You just explore. In fact, it's a phrase I constantly give to people all the time. I'm exploring. Yes. Very different to saying I'm looking for. Yes. And you, you touched on the values element that I think from a leadership perspective is especially important when leaders are thinking about uh, maybe new organizations that they want to, to head up um, and coming from a place of values where those values are congruent with the organization. Um, you know, frankly, a lot of leaders that I'm that I've worked with over the years, they do sense that there's not alignment of values where what they care about is not important to the organization. Um, you know, they might value transparency or, um, or kind of an entrepreneurial spirit being able to take risks and, and those kinds of values versus an organization that is kind of keeping them more <laughs> trapped or restricted in many ways. And so they look for other opportunities that allow them to, to really exercise more of who they are in the sense of, of the values that are represented. I'm really interested that that's your experience because I think that's a very close match to what I've been working with. And and, and when you help people to move on or even help senior people who are, are asking themselves, do I go or do I stay? The issue of values comes up a lot. And 
I think it's an overused thing because I think a lot of people talk about personal values being really important. But what, the other thing I hear all the time is people say, um, I'm trying to work for an organization that does what it says it does. I don't know if this, this is an expression which is very British, but they say, I want to work for an organization which does what it says on the tin mm -hmm. <laughs> or on the can, it would be. In other words, it, it's honest. Yes. So if it yes. says we're here to make a fast buck and, it, and that's what it does, that's fine. But if it says we value all of our people and we're kind to the environment and we love all of our shareholders and then it just behaves badly, that's that dissonance is what really disturbs people. So one of the coaching tools I pass on to people who are even thinking about change is to say, how do you look under the skin of these things? How do you get past the surface expression of values and find out, well, I suppose they're looking for embodied values. In other words, what does, an, what does the organization actually do? And how do, you, how do you judge that? How do you tell? There are, there are really concrete ways of doing that as well, interestingly, to, to say, I mean, a good example is, but if you go to a senior level interview, it's almost pointless saying, what are the values of this organization? Partly because you should have found out as a smart candidate. And secondly, what is good, what, what are you going to be told at interview? Nobody's going to say, well, our values are, are not very good, really, or so-so, right. <laughs> <you know, laughs> we're working on it. They're going to say, you know, all of the cliches that everyone else says. Now, some of the cliches are true and some of them entirely fake. So you've got to find out. And this, there are good ways of finding out. Yeah. I mean, what interesting, one of the key demonstrating factors, I think, of values is staff retention. So how many people are still motivated and happy and, and engaged in their work and they've been there for at least five years? That's one of the ways that you see values um, embodied. In, yeah, in you can see company. evidence of that. Yeah, that it's working. Yeah, for sure. Um, gosh, I know there's so much that I want to cover. One of the other topics that I really love talking about is identity. And it seems that you can't think about what's next for you uh, without thinking about who you really are and who you really are now and to not feel like you are limited by an identity that perhaps you're used to or that you feel that others have assigned to you. So um, I know in my own career trajectory and when I left corporate, it took me a while to kind of feel like I was in my own skin as a solo kind of business owner for a long time. And so I know that others have similar situations. You know, I work with some in the medical profession, for example, who see themselves as doctors, really, you know, wonderful doctors in that, and they're in leadership roles and, and wanting to pursue other avenues. Um, some have come from technical backgrounds where they are really skilled in, in certain areas that have served them well and see themselves as that. So, um, yeah. Are, are you, what are, what are some thoughts about that? <laughs> big thing. It's a really big, we could do a four hour thing. Just I know, that. I know. That's so why really, there's so much I want to touch on. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking I've got a, a friend of mine at the moment, CEO of an organization, and she's decided to leave it for very good reasons. And uh, she's going through that process now, sitting down with her senior managers and uh, uh, kind of board level people and explaining why she's going. And, and, and I can see this, this pain and joy of transition going through and it's very stressful and it's part of it is that really human thing of what happens to us when we change mode um because you know it, it, we, we like rights of transition don't we and, and we uh, rights of transit 
aren't they? They're called. And, um, you know, we do all do it, don't we? We, you know, you, you leave education, you're going to work, you, you become a parent, uh, you retire. These are all points of transition, but we have points within careers as well. And they do strongly not just challenge identity, but affect it, change it. We don't stay the same. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, what we, we mentioned earlier on that I said I did, I was trained in using career tests. And I was trained by a very distinguished psychologist. Who, I remember talking about identity at work. And, and he said that we, we don't have one identity. We all have multiple identities. And, and we present different masks, if you like, to different contexts. But um, so this idea that we, we have one single identity is not, not entirely true. But my goodness, it's powerful, isn't it? It said that one of the effects of redundancy, particularly if you have to change sector, particularly if you have to change the impact and status and influence of your role, is that that has a deep-seated effect on people's picture of themselves. That's the way they often talk about it. They say, you know, I really don't feel comfortable with this because people don't see me the same way. I don't feel I have the same respect from people. The phone doesn't ring. People don't ask my opinion. Those are those are really big things, aren't they? They are. They are. Well, I'm wondering if there are there any other issues that you're seeing uh, regarding kind of the, the state of leaders or executives right now as they're trying to figure figure things out. Because at some point, I want to move us into possible actions that they can take or more how to, but we just want to make sure I know you and I talked about imposter syndrome too, I think. Yeah. And our preview call. So that's that's another <laughs> common challenge that people have. Um, I suppose thinking aloud, what 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 prompts imposter syndrome is often lack of regular, useful, meaningful feedback, isn't it? So you see it more, I'm sure you do as well, Gail. We see it more in senior people who are relatively isolated. So they don't necessarily have a peer group to say that went well, or you could have done that better, or you're doing a great job. They're, they're often quite isolated. Um, or they have in, or they're lower in the organization, they have insecurities. And um, I guess we're, when people are working at increased pace and under increased pressure, you get less feedback from any system, don't you? People have got less time to say, great job, um, or less time to uh, network with CEOs in parallel organizations to say, I've got a problem. How did you deal with the same problem? So we're more isolated. So we are going to see, we are seeing more of it. Uh, and it's a major factor. Yeah, it's, it's getting stuck in your head. Really? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people forget about imposter syndrome is that it's not just an idea. All the research on it shows that it actually affects behaviors. So people don't apply for things. They apply for lower level positions and jobs they could actually do. They, they fail to present themselves for training or learning opportunities. So it actually has a direct effect on choices and behaviors. Yeah. It's interesting. I was having a conversation with one leader who was using imposter syndrome, almost like an excuse, had awareness about it. Like, well, because I have imposter syndrome, I can't do this. Wow. <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, it was, it was a, a really um, enlightening conversation to say, don't, you know, don't use that as an excuse. You know, if you see that as something that is holding you back, then it will. But to really begin seeing yourself differently. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose we're in the 
category of self-imposed limitations, aren't we? And that's a perfect yes. example. And another <laughs> one, interestingly, is all those people that say, I don't have a network. Right. Because what they're really saying is, I ch I'm choosing not to add even one more person to my network. Yes, good <laughs> distinction. Yeah. So it's a sort of, I, I'm no good at this. I'm not going to look over here. I don't have a network. Yeah. I mean, lots of people have these wonderful self-imposed barriers. And I guess the hook really to what we're talking about today is that in a, in a tough marketplace where you need to move things forward fairly quickly sometimes and take and seize opportunities and make conversations happen, it, these limitations actually slow you down very significantly. And I think there's, there's, it even, there's an underlying thing there too, which is what happens is if you set yourself up to fail and you get negative feedback or even silence, so you, you go into the job market, maybe you're floating yourself towards other organizations saying, I'm thinking of moving, maybe we could have a, have a chat sometime, and you don't get an immediate ultra positive yeah you're wonderful come and talk to us when people say oh yeah sure we'll have a, but i'm busy right now <laughs> um then what actually happens is people close down their own opportunities really fast so they say well i'll stop looking or this isn't a good time or um i'll go for something lower level yeah it's easy to take that so personally when it's really not about the person at all so uh, it is isn't it and uh, i i i mean i love to know, hear from your experience too, whether you see, as I do, surprising levels of vulnerability, really, in, in really quite senior people, even when it comes to thinking about developing their own careers or to changing organizations. This kind of, um, yeah, people put limitations in their own way, but also take any early feedback as, a, as an absolute signal that this isn't going to work. Yeah. Well, of course, as, as you may know, I do run some executive peer groups and, and do some one-on-one -on -one work with senior executives. And so I do feel honored that they feel comfortable sharing with me some of the vulnerabilities that I know that they probably wouldn't uh, in other circumstances. But I think that that's a good thing. I think that's the first start is to express what you're really concerned about, how you're really feeling, what's going on in your mind, no matter how crazy it might sound to begin getting to the real issues that you want to work through. And so vulnerability, obviously, that's become a lot uh, more popular in leadership circles today. Easier said than done. <laughs> so, uh, but wherever you can find an outlet or safe place to really talk through, what are you really feeling now? What is your real concern uh, without fear of judgment, especially self-judgment, you know, that's another thing that needs to, to stop um, to help people move forward. We could talk more about that, too. But vulnerability right now, I think, is more, um, I see it a lot more out there under these circumstances because some of the CEOs and executives I've been working with have been blown out of the water by circumstances that have happened this year. So it's almost like they don't have any choice but to kind of peel back the curtain and say, okay, you know, let's, let's rethink everything. Let's, let's look at what's possible for our business. But also I'm thinking about what I really might want to do on the other side of all this or to move through this in a powerful way. 
Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit workmatters.com. And if you have a question or suggestion for a future topic for the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. So keep growing as a leader and doing the work that matters to you. Until next time. Thank you.